This is Support is Sexy, episode 71 with Aviola Abrams, spiritpreneur and founder of Sacred Bombshell. Welcome to the Support is Sexy podcast. I'm your host, Elaine Fluker, entrepreneur, author, producer, and founder of Chic Rebellion Media. Five days a week, Monday through Friday, I talk to women entrepreneurs who share their journeys and the true stories of their wins and their lessons and give you insight and inspiration to take your business and your life to the next level. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Support is Sexy. I'm so excited to have you here because you know it just would not be the same without you. So today we are welcoming Abiola Abrams, and Abiola is a spiritpreneur, and she is the founder of The Sacred Bombshell, and her business is all about enlightenment, encouraging women to truly follow their path, find their voice, and in helping them build their business in a way that aligns with who they are and what they want to create in the world. So it's a great balance of spirituality, but also a balance of this is the part of the business that we need to make sure is taken care of. So in this episode, Abiola talks to us about what a spiritpreneur is and why you should be compensated appropriately for being one. She also talks about how to get clear about what you offer, whom you serve, and how you add value to people's lives, the importance of listening to your audience and asking them what they need, why an audience that is not targeted is irrelevant, how to avoid being a wounded healer. I never heard that term before used in this way that she uses it in this episode, but very important to listen out for that, being a wounded healer. How to get over people-pleasing at a micro and macro level. Ways to start over again after a public failure. And in this episode, Abiola actually shares a failure or a setback that she has never shared before. And what I think is great is that she talks about how our challenges can help our experiences and our work become richer. So it's not just something to hide and be ashamed of. You can absolutely learn from it. And of course, I believe there's power in sharing. That's what this show is all about. She also talks about how to avoid the sunk cost fallacy. And if you've never heard that term, you'll find out what it is in this episode. And also, very important, you can't bitch about it. You got to be about it. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Plenty of great gems and information in here. So without further ado, Abiola Abrams. So Abiola, thank you so much for joining us on an episode of Support is Sexy. I'm excited to have you here. Ooh, I'm so excited too, Elaine. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. Finally, right? We get to finally. <laughs> all this time. Excellent. Now, first question I ask everyone: When did you first fall in love with entrepreneurship? Ah, that's a great question. I think that it had to be as a kid, um, which I'm sure that you hear a lot from entrepreneurs. That my family is—I come from an immigrant family. And my dad, you know, although he was, you know, somewhat of an entrepreneur in the things that he did, but my parents are really the only people in my family probably that had traditional jobs that a lot of members of my family started their own businesses. So it was just what I saw growing up. And so I remember as a kid, you know, pretending to have my own business that, you know, when I had the little, you remember the little kitchen set we all had with the stove and the sink and everything? I turned mine over on the side and turned it into a desk. (laughs) And then in the little stove area, I had like my little papers and post-its and things. Oh my gosh. I love that. So I think that it was, you know, from the very beginning, although, you know, there've been a lot of detours um, in terms of me coming to trust that entrepreneurship was necessary and is the way. 
that was the easy bake oven, right? That's probably what it was. I was sitting here trying to think of what that was called. I know I had an easy bake oven. No, I did have, it wasn't the easy bake. I did have the easy bake oven. It wasn't that one. It was, there was another one that was like from Toys R Us that didn't do anything. It was like just for show, like it had the refrigerator that you open. I love it. So the refrigerator became my file cabinet. (laughs) Now, how did you know those things? Was it because you, I know you say you saw examples of people as entrepreneurs, but did you actually say go into an office with some family and sort of see, really see and experience how it works? Yes. Not only did I go to the office on occasion with both of my parents, which was amazing, um, but also because both of my parents are writers. And if anyone knows writers, especially, I mean, I guess from like our generation, I don't know if it's still necessarily true for people who are 20 years old, but we have a lot of papers. We have a lot of books. We have our desk with a lot of stuff going on, you know? And so my dad, you know, being a working writer, always had in my house growing up, you know, his desk with his books and his papers and his things that he was doing. And then my mom had her smaller desk with her things that she wrote. And so my mom would write things like um, she would write poetry and she would write sequels to childhood stories. So like when she read me Goldilocks and the Three Bears and I said, mommy, what happens next? She would write a little mini book for me. And so Mm. (laughs) from seeing my parents, you know, I just, it seemed like what you do if you want to play as a grown up, you sit at a desk. I don't know, somehow you chart, you sell people stuff. Um, and people are interested in what you have to say. Like that was my childhood business model. I love it. And that's basically <laughs> it. That's perfect. And that's basically, and create clubs. That was another thing I did. I created all these little clubs that mm-hmm. didn't have anyone in it, but it would be the such and such club. And, you know, I would make up names of people that were in the clubs. I don't know where I got this from, but it, it's interesting because it's kind of like you said, what we're doing now in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing. You know, that's why I usually ask um, everyone, all the guests this question, because it's so interesting to hear where people start and just sort of how things come back full circle, whether it's how they create their business or the path of their career or what they're doing for people in service to people now. There's always some kind of connection or thread there. Definitely. And I think, Elaine, especially for women, that this is where our independence comes in. You know, like when as a kid, my mom sold Avon. And so that was her business. And it wasn't strange to me to be a multi-hyphenate because both of my parents Mm. were multi-hyphenates. And so it's like, okay, she's got her Avon thing going and she's got her nine to five, then she's got this and she's got that. Like I said, I was the first person in my family born in America. And so a lot of my family members didn't come here with job opportunities because they quote unquote spoke funny or, you know, their degrees didn't necessarily translate and weren't accepted, you know, by the institutions here. And so they started their own businesses. I love it. Now, your family's from Guyana, right? My family's from Guyana, yes. Nice. Now, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in in New York? I know you're in New York now. Yeah, I grew up in New York, born and raised. Um, I say that I am a multi-borough New Yorker, born (laughs) in Brooklyn, um, born in Brooklyn, grew up in Queens, went to school in Manhattan and um, in upstate New York. So I am a true New Yorker. (laughs) Now, what was a young Abiola like? I know that obviously entrepreneurial, but what would you say your personality was like when you were younger? Now, the interesting thing is, Elaine, if other people saw me, they wouldn't have, entrepreneurial wouldn't have come to mind. It would have been more like bookish, studious. Um, People used to call me really sweet, which I hated. Like Mm. I hated that so much with passion and wanted to be like everything. The the opposite, because the the kids that were popular were not sweet. Right. I went through that (laughs) too. 
You're you so know? nice. Yeah. You're so nice. Right. You're like, ah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but then you really were. <laughs> right. You know? And so, you know, I was a kid that like my mom would turn off the lights and then I would still be reading, you know, under the covers, like trying to still like I just read a lot and was just very into reading and writing. And, you know, that was my experience as a kid. I love it. Now, who or what were your greatest influences growing up? My greatest influences growing up, I would have to say it's really interesting. Um, I come from a really huge family. Uh, my Even my immediate family is really big. And so that was a big influence. Um, I had influences that were negative influences that influenced me in a positive way and positive influences. So the positive influences were reading um, reading books, you know, as, a, as a, a little kid, like reading like, you know, this is corny, but like the Little House on the Prairie books. And then as a teen, getting to read and know about Toni Morrison and Gloria Naylor, who we just lost. And, you know, mm. all of these wonderful writers. Um, and the beautiful thing for you and I is that we were able to grow up in the age and era of Oprah. And so whereas, you know, there weren't necessarily people feel like they grew up in, in times where they weren't seeing themselves on, on screen, but we were able to see ourselves reflected like we were all Vanessa on the Cosby show or my sister's generation. They were all Rudy, you know. Right. And so, you know, that was very influential. Um, something that I would say was a negative influence was um, that my family was bullied really badly in my neighborhood because there were not a lot of immigrants at that time. And so, you know, we were told on a daily basis, you know, go back to your country and people in my family were beat up and stuff like that. And so what that did at a really early age is it gave me a resilience. And it also gave me the understanding that, all right, well, if you don't fit in anywhere anyway, then what are you going to do? Then you kind of have to create your own path because it's like, okay, was in a middle class black neighborhood, but they didn't feel like we were American enough or black enough or whatever it was. So we didn't fit in with them. I didn't fit in with the kids in my schools, which were predominantly white. And so then it gave me a a means at a, a lesson at an early age to create your own voice, to create your own path, to stand firmly in who you are. Um, And then the third influence, I would have to say, um, hip hop was a big influence for me growing Mm. up, you know, a a member of the hip hop generation. And so growing up and listening to, you know, Salt and Peppa or, you know, whoever, like these women with their voices that would get out there and speak their minds and, you know, TLC later on and all of that, you know, it 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 meant something to me for me. it was a means I was in a, a hip hop group when I was a teen Were and you? it was I was and it was a means of like the first time of like people getting to hear my voice and me getting to hear my voice right. that I was a poet before that. But where were you really going to read poetry as a kid? You know, so it was a way of like translating that into me being able to stand in myself and put my voice out there. I think thank you for sharing all of that with us, especially the I can imagine it's tough to talk about your family going through what they went through and being bullied and treated as something other when really you were part of the community. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like um, being into hip hop and then especially being in a group and using your voice sort of helped you through that time as well? It did help. It did help. It helped a lot, actually. And what's interesting, what I've learned since as an adult is a lot of the early founders of hip hop were of Caribbean descent as well. We're all first generation Americans like me. So that was really yeah, interesting. Cool Herc, I think, is Jamaican, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, they're all Caribbean American. Yeah. And so, 
you know, it did definitely, you know, help me to be able to, you know, stand in my own and, and because as a shy kid, as an introverted kid, um, as a nerdy geeky kid, uh, who then, you know, didn't feel like she fit in with the people that looked like her. It was just a really challenging thing. But I feel like my work that I do today, everything that I do is richer because of it. Because of that experience. Because of that experience. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting how we pull those things, whether negative or positive at that time, forward into the work we do in some way or another, yes. whether we're conscious of it or not? Yes, yes. And I don't think that I would be... I wouldn't be able, and I think this is true for all of us, Elaine, you know, without the, those things that were the hardest, that I wouldn't be able to be me in the fullest sense of who I am. That's right. Now, were you always drawn to spirituality? Because that is such a part of the kind of work that you do today, which, of course, we're going to get into. But was that always a part of your life? It was. And the interesting thing is that until, you know, very recently, like maybe five within the past five years or so, I didn't feel comfortable to really bring it out. Like I felt like it was something I had to kind of keep in the closet and sneak in there with mm -hmm. other things. You know, I called it hiding the vitamins in the candy. Um, but mm. I had a very spiritual upbringing because among my father's like 27 immigrant jobs is that my dad is also a minister and a preacher. Okay. Um, and so I'm a preacher's kid, but he was not your traditional black minister that my dad, when I was growing up, you know, to, he studied yoga and, you know, he studies Kabbalah and he's more of a student of spirituality um, that informs his Christianity and his preaching that he does. And then on my mom's side of the family, my great grandmother was a midwife and a women's fertility healer, like back, back, back in the day. Um, and then my grandparents on both sides were farmers and my mom's, um, dad was like the, 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 like, I guess like a councilman is the equivalent in his community and also very like spiritual in the work that he did. So it's something that's in my family. There are people in my family that make money and, you know, their primary job is as a reader or, you know, a spiritualist. So it's, it's something definitely that has been a part of my experience my whole life. And when did it come to the point for you where you felt like, okay, this is something that that you personally wanted to make a career out of and eventually build your business from this space of uh, really, it's not monetizing spirituality, but really figuring out how to make spirituality be a part of your business, a part of your everyday in that way, in your work? I think, Elaine, that it happened, it evolved naturally like over the past during the past 10 years that originally, like I said, I felt like it was something that I had to hide. Mm -hmm. And then what I learned more, like, like you, I've worked both in mainstream and indie media. Right. And as the, the media industry changed, you know, for people who are not aware of this, that, you know, Elaine and I were both in the industry like 2008, 2009, when everything on in mainstream media kind of fell apart. And so, you know, then you were you had to figure out a way to kind of make your own way and balance and figure out where you, most people figured out a way to balance the two. Mm -hmm. And so when I was rebuilding kind of, you know, who I was and what I was putting into the world from scratch without, you know, necessarily having the support of a mainstream media um, house behind me like I did in the past, it was about, OK, am I going to come forward auth authentically you know, or am I going to continue, 
you know, to present something that I'm not. And it, it, it has been, you know, it's a challenging thing, you know, for people who have a history of being bullied often are, or, or even just people who grow up as, you know, the nice girl, the good girl we were talking about, a lot of us are people pleasers. Mm -hmm. And so we have the natural thing of wanting to please people on a micro and a macro level. And so it's about me coming into my own authenticity and being like the beautiful thing about the world that we live in now, where we are directly in contact with our audience right now, we are directly in contact with your tribe. There's no one in between you and Seek Rebellion and your audience, which is a beautiful thing. We can be authentic. Right. We don't have Spengali saying, well, no, you can't bring that to the table. No, you can't bring this to the or table. The advertisers won't like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Which was a big part of my background um, before during the period of time that we're working in mainstream media was my primary um, source of income. Where were you at the time when this, like we mentioned, like you mentioned in um, 2008, when things sort of fell apart, where were you uh, working at that time in media? Or in 2000, in 2008, I was hosting a show for BET that came on at like 10 o'clock and 10 o'clock at night on Sundays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was named um, the the best shorts. It was a short film show mm -hmm. uh, that at the time I was uh, a broadcaster on air personality in addition to being a filmmaker, um, producer, writer, director, etc., mm -hmm. who was doing my own products on the side. And so my work was very firmly rooted in mainstream media. I had the show on BT. I also had a, um, my first novel was published at the time by Simon and Schuster, which is all the same company, part of Viacom. At least it was at the time. I haven't, you know, followed it up. Right. Um, and so, and then I was doing other um, broadcasts on other networks like NBC and that sort of thing. Um, but my work was very much firmly, it was, you know, it's the same as anyone who works somewhere and they get a paycheck. Right. Um, it wasn't owning a business. It was, I work for these people. And so I've got to do what, what they say. And exactly. so, you know. It was interesting, Elaine, that at the time um, I also was, you know, making art films. And so my films would be playing in festivals and, you know, I was blessed to be able to, you know, travel to Berlin and other places where my films were showing in film festivals. And there was this one festival that this art film that I had done that was too racy for the network when I was on air. And although I was receiving awards, I can't remember if that was I think that was like 2007 2008 at What's the time the name of it uh Aphrodite Superstar and it was nice. about black women and sexuality yeah all of my films were about um taboo topics so um like depression and mental health and the uh, topics that we face as women of color but that we are we felt forced to to not have a voice on and so the network didn't give me the green light to be able to go to represent my own work at a festival mm. You know, my work that I created myself, but that was what it, that's what, what it was. And then, you know, that's what it still is. If you work for corporate, you know, corporate entity. It's so interesting. One of the reasons that I asked you too, where you was, uh, where you were, excuse me, at that time is because it, I don't know if you went through this, but it's, um, can often be jarring or just uh, enlightening when you're not at a big company anymore. And then the phone calls that you used to make that people used to respond to right away 
yes. don't respond so quickly anymore, you know, especially yes. when you're starting your own thing. That's the reason I wanted to mention it for anyone going through that now or who has been yes. through that. You're not alone. It's just and not that those people necessarily because I've had to tell myself this. It's not that they <laughs> were all about the company that you were with. It's just that you don't necessarily have that outlet anymore. Your outlet is different and it doesn't work yes. for everybody. And it's it's tough sometimes not to take that personal but in business you learn pretty quickly I don't know if you experienced this that you have to move on keep creating yes build a new tribe to use your language from earlier yes Elaine I learned that definitely and I did take it personally I did too that's why I'm mentioning it (laughs) it's like I gave you a chance I put you in the magazine you don't even call me back (laughs) yes it's like what like I put you on I I had you on on my show and now you like like now I can't get a ring back okay wow exactly Wow, you know, but then they come back around again when other things are on and popping and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And it's interesting, um, something that, you know, I think is important for people to take heed of no matter where you are in your career and in building your business is that you never know who somebody is and, you know, where they might end up. And so don't underestimate anyone, you know. Meet people, you know, treat people the way that you would want to be treated, you know, and see them as, you know, their evolved selves. The assistants that you may be not talking to, you know, today are going to be the CEOs of tomorrow. Exactly. Treat people as people, not as their positions. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because also, you know, like the people that you look around the room that, you know, may seem like the flashiest person that has everything going on. It's probably the person sitting in the corner, you know, who's not trying to make an impression on anyone, you know, that is the person maybe who may be most helpful for you. So when you're treating people as human beings and not as their position or what they can do for you, that I think that that's a much more powerful and humanistic place to come from. Absolutely. Now, what was your first step when you dis- when you were in that position and then this transition was required? Is that when you went into creating your business, being a spiritpreneur, which we'll talk about what exactly that is, but is that when you decided to make the transition into that space or did you go into another nine Not to five? yet. Yeah. I had a big stumble. Um, and this is probably like where I get like my biggest like business lesson about being an entrepreneur that I had started I was had was dabbling kind of in indie media as much as you were able to do back then. It was just a different climate, you know. Um, so I had what, you know, cobbled together could be called a blog, but wasn't really called that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had a very early podcast that started in 2005 when podcasting first came out. Like I was like, OK, wow. let me play with this and see. Yeah, see what it is. So I had that at the time, um, but none of those were necessarily like active, ongoing business models. Um, and then I was kind, I was offered from the umbrella at Viacom, you know, they asked me to do a reality show. And so, you know, again, you know, to, to paint people a picture, the crazy thing was that this was in the era of like, Flavor Flav and um, I forget what the other guy is, his name is, but you know, all of those like crazy kind of, you know, I don't want to use judgmental language, but you know. um, Those eccentric characters. Yes, perfect, perfectly spoken. (laughs) Those eccentric characters, celeb reality kind of things that were going on. And the way that it was pitched to me was, you know, if you are a part of, it wasn't one of those shows, but it was on, you know, one of the same networks 
you do part if you do this reality show that you know it would be really powerful for you to give a different since you're so critical of it a different view of you know a different black woman which for me was really really appealing and important at the time to put if you don't like the voices that are out there you need to put your voice out there mm. if you don't like the faces that are out there if they feel non-representative for you don't you know I don't want to curse on your on your broadcast, but don't bitch about it. Be about it. Mm -hmm, you know, put right. yourself out there. Put your voice out there. And so, you know, it was the first season of this show, and they were like, you know, be a part of this reality show on VH1. And um, uh, who was it? Drew Barrymore was one of the executive producers, and they were like, you know, it'll be a reality version of he's just not that into you, and you should totally do it. And Blah, 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 blah. And so I did this show and they were like, you know, it, it, it'll help explode your audience to the mainstream because I had done mostly black media up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, OK, you know, so I did it. And they were like, you'll be able also to promote your book and your podcast and your this and your that. And they made it sound really appealing. At the time, you know, my business game was not tight. And so I didn't get any of those things in writing, mm. um, you know, the idea that I could go on VH1 and promote my book was really, really amazing and attractive to me. The idea that I could go on VH1 and also show a different voice and a different way of being for a black woman was also really attractive for me. So the so after that experience um, where I grew an audience, but and this is another thing really important for your entrepreneurs who are listening. Um, it's not about numbers. You don't want just any audience. An audience that is not targeted to what you offer is irrelevant. Right. You know, not irrelevant in terms of because no one is irrelevant, but they're not relevant to you as a person building a business, building a voice, building a platform. And so, you know, it was just really, really kind of a crazy, you know, crazy time. Um, and so it was from there coming out of that. Um, that I then was like, okay, I have to build my own thing. Um, because I remember at the time, one of the things, Elaine, was that, you know, social media at that time, we were just coming out of MySpace land <laughs> and making the transition into Facebook and Black Planet was like still active. And I remember that I had a partnership with Black Planet and I was doing videos for them, um, digital broadcasting for Black Planet. And I had, you know, 400 I had I had half a million friends on Black Planet. And wow. then when that, yeah. And so then when that crashed, then I really learned the importance of like, I didn't have any of those people's emails. Right. I didn't have any direct access to that audience, you know, that any platform, even if you build your business on Facebook or, you know, Instagram, Instagram. or whatever. Right. Yeah. And you don't have, you're not having a way to build a funnel where people can actively engage with you, then at any point that platform can go away, it can shift the access, it can change the rules. And so that was when I was like, okay, you know, I had a whole lot of flash and stuff going on, but I never, I didn't have a business. And that's when I had a shift. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And especially the part about, well, one, going after the, like you said, the shiny things that look like it could have been, and, and for trusting, you know, the part of business is everything is fine until it isn't, right? Until you start asking for what people promise and then all of a sudden it's not fine. Um, but then also the part yes. that you mentioned about building your your list and really owning your list or being really engaged yeah. with your key audience for people who are especially younger. Social media is great. Having big followings is fantastic. But you don't own the access to those people. 
Right. You know, like you think about even Facebook pages, you could have a million followers on your Facebook page, but you'll see only 13 people saw the post that you put up and not because only 13 people were online. Millions were online, but because they are like, yeah, you could pay $5 to get it in front of the people who have already Already said that they want to see you. Exactly. So who knows when these other channels or other platforms rather are going to change. So thank you. That was such a good point of owning the list and then not getting caught up in, I, I say this to myself, how big your list even is. Your, a big list is great, but it's also who's on your list and how engaged they are. Yes, that's what is key. The main thing is engagement. The, that's, that's the number one thing that, you know, having high engagement, even for people who are wanting to be, you know, brand ambassadors and engage with brands, that it's the engagement that they're going to look at more than the numbers. If you are coming to them with these extreme numbers and no one is engaging, you know, that's why it doesn't make sense to purchase followers, you know, that are robots that are not going to engage with your content or purchase anything you have. Right. Exactly. Now, so what was your first step then after that experience and you know, as I imagine, licking your wounds from that experience and <laughs> taking the, the learning experience with you. What was your first step to building the business that you have now, which is we should call, say is sacred bombshell? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the first step was really to create to, to first of all, get real and figure out who I was, um, because when you're doing a lot of media stuff, you can kind of lose yourself mm-hmm. in it. Um, figure out who I am authentically and then what I wanted my voice to be and what my mission statement was. What was my mission? What was my purpose? What was I going to be doing? What was I going to be creating? And for whom? And what I realized was that, you know, there were threads in the things that I was doing before. Even, you know, now the, the hats that I wear are writer, coach, speaker, product creator, and broadcaster. But under those five hats, uh, with those five hats, I think is only one thing that I do is I'm a teacher Mm -hmm. at at heart and it just is on different platforms. And so being clear about your mission, what it is that you offer, who it is that you serve, that was also a lesson um, that I had to learn again, even after that, that when I was clear about my mission and then was clear about the things that I was going to create and what I was going to put out there, I still had in my head, which a lot of entrepreneurs do when we start out is, okay, I'm making this for everybody. Right. Nobody is for everybody. Right. There's if you, by trying to appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's really important to niche down and be really, really specific about the people that you were talking to. So I knew even, you know, I was like, okay, I want to empower women. What does that mean? Probably everyone listening on this line wants to empower women, you know, so that by itself doesn't mean anything. Um, One of the things that was really helpful for me, and I, I recommend this for anyone who is wanting to kind of, you know, if you're starting over, starting from scratch, building an audience, you know, write a book, or if you've written books before, write a new book, That is aimed directly at, you know, who it is that you're talking to, because that's a great way to not only state who you are, what your mission is, um, to add value to your audience. The only time that, you know, commerce is exchanged is really, um, you know, from a point of for me, my work is my ministry, but adding value to people's lives. What is the value you're putting out? So take that, put it into a book. Um, or even these days, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a physical book. It could be a website that is standing in the way in, in, in the means of a book or a podcast or whatever it is and putting that out there. 
that this is a, a, a side explanation, but I feel like it's really powerful for your audience, Elaine. This weekend, I was at a conference where I learned that women, we spend 30 minutes more than men in a presentation explaining who we are and why we deserve to be in the room. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times women, we feel like we have to validate ourselves. We feel like we have to explain who we are to be able to do things. But the truth is when you put it out there and say, this is who I am, this is what I offer, people accept you at face value. So Elaine saying support is sexy, you know, join me on this journey. We accept her. We look and we say, wow, look at her. This is great. And we take the ride with her. She doesn't have to further validate herself. So that's a really, really important thing. Um, For me as a writer, that what I started to do was write things that were specifically um, in my voice to the audience that I wanted to talk to. Before I had done stuff for Yahoo OMG that was um, aimed at like, you know, pop cultural things and, and things like that that were really, really fun, but it didn't necessarily have anything to do with the audience I wanted to talk to or what my passion or, or heart needs were. Now, how did you determine your audience or your avatar, as people say now, but the woman that you, you decided that you wanted to serve? Because I think what you said is so important that everyone starts from the place of, I want to serve everybody, but then it's like, okay, great. Now get more narrow and more focused and keep going in and in until you really zone in on that person that you want to serve. And then the people like that person. How did you go about that? Well, it wasn't a linear thing that I've had advice columns for a really long time. Even when I was at BET, actually, I had an advice column with rolling out back in the days, a Dear Abiola column. Um, and what I noticed, what I started to pay attention to were the people that were engaging with my content, the more and more niche I got, kind of what you said, the further that you go in, who was still rolling with me, who was still rocking with me, Mm. (laughs) you know, and then I started to ask questions as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you should be very curious about the people that you are serving. And so I started to ask people, you know, Straight up, what are your issues? What it is? What is it that? How can I serve you? What is it that you would want to learn from me? Um, and I found something really, really interesting. That you know, the things that I feel like I was born to to teach, which is primarily in the area of helping to remove limiting beliefs and blocks and the things that keep us small, the things that the stories that we make up about ourselves that keep us in a limited way that those are the things that women told me were their primary issues. But the interesting thing was that the gateway to talking about those issues, um, something that's so intimate, came in the way of, you know, often our relationships, you know, so I started out actually from a platform of like, after that with love, um, dating and relationships, because the VH1 show that I came out of was a relationship show. So those were the advice questions people were asking me first. And what I realized was that there was a self-love and self-esteem solution to every problem, no matter what it is, that there was a, you know, that at at heart, there's a self-worth solution. And so what I learned is that what you, if you're wanting to make a business of that, is that you sell people what it is that they want and you give them what they need. So, you know, in the beginning when people were just asking me relationship related questions, because I was also very outspoken about my own relationship foibles and, you know, I had a marriage that crashed and burned (laughs) and all of that. And so people were asking those things. And what I realized it was coming back to was issues of self-love and self-esteem and empowerment. 
Um, but so so giving them what it is that they want and sliding in what they need. And in a way that that's that's actually what then further built the business to where, you know, it, it became about building better relationships with yourself, with your partners and even with your business as well. Um, so again, giving them what they want on a surface level and then sliding in what they need. So a lot of the people that I then started to do coaching, um, because people asked me for it, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I had even in my head to do. I was doing advice columns and, you know, and as a writer, you know, that's what I was doing and I was making YouTube videos, but people started to ask me for coaching. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first person who asked me for coaching, I wasn't even sure what it was, you know, like I was like, I wasn't sure. Like we, you know, when we were growing up, there were these Tony Robbins infomercials and I wasn't, right. you know, <laughs> and I was speaking. Um, I, a lot of schools started booking me to speak. And so it became a natural transition. And then I went and got my coaching certification when, um, another friend of ours in this industry that does what we do, she was, she was, she couldn't, she had to cancel an event. She was a speaker in an event that I was hosting and she had to cancel because she said she was doing her coaching certification exam. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. What is that? Right. It's <laughs> funny how things enter our consciousness and it's like, oh, okay. I need yeah. to know about that. I need to know about that. And then I was like, okay, that is a way for, you know, for me to do what it is that people are asking me to do and what I'm doing already and, and be able to have more information about it. I love that. Now, what you do is called uh, a spiritpreneur, right? Yes. Yes. What is a spiritpreneur? And how do so, we know when we are one, when that is our, our thing? Yes. So a spiritpreneur, Elaine, is a heart-centered, spirit-centered, conscious entrepreneur who is creating from their purpose and their spirit. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I make the designation is that there are special things that we need as a spiritpreneur that, you know, another kind of an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily need. I always give the example of my uncle who runs a he's an he has an extermination business. Now, he's he's, he's in his business because it makes money for his family. He did it because it serves a need. But he doesn't sit at home thinking about pests and how to kill. But it's not his passion. It's not his hard work. It's right. not, you know, he, for him, it's a business that he loves because it keeps his family, you know, fed and happy. It's not from his it doesn't feed his heart and his soul like his fishing does or his other things that he may be interested in. Mm -hmm. For those of us who are spiritpreneurs, we have chosen to take our heart's calling, our passion. Um, a lot of us are coaches, healers, teachers. We empower other people. Um, and then we've taken that and created our business. And the reason why I say, Elaine, that we need, we have different needs is that a lot of us are reluctant leaders. Yeah. A lot of us feel a, a calling, but then we feel all of those other issues that say, who do you think you are? Who does she think she is? You know, we have imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome, right? <laughs> you know, we have a lot of us abundance issues, which I had for a long time, you know, as a spiritual teacher, you know, feeling conflict about, you know, taking money, I you know, going or, to ask you about that. A lot of women and then especially spirit yes. have this sort of inner battle about I shouldn't accept money because I'm helping people in this way. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's something that I have dealt with. And it's one of, one of the programs I'm doing next year in 2017 is about getting unblocked with your money issues, because it's a big thing that I notice a pattern that 
almost every job that I walked away from, you know, through my own regard of wanting to leave or the company making a transition, as you know, there are a lot of transitions in media. So everything almost that I walked away from, I would somehow end up with them owing me money. Mm. Like somehow it would always end up where something wasn't, wasn't right or the money wasn't right or there were all these like money issues or even with me coaching people, you know, who weren't couldn't afford to pay and, you know, had different issues. And, you know, there are ways to if you are wanting to serve people who are having financial issues, you know, you could start a not for profit or, you know, um, serve higher higher level clients so that then you can maybe do scholarships or something like that. But if your whole business is based on serving people who are not able to help you to be able to serve your own life and your own self, then you're now a wounded healer or a martyr, Mm. which is not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy place to create from. You cannot give from an empty cup. And so these are issues specifically that I address, um, through, I have the spirit, one of the, the new program that I have coming out is the badass spiritpreneur warrior sisterhood, Mm. which is, yes, which is, you know, a club of us as women, us spiritpreneurs being able to have the soul care, the self care, the skills and the strategy that we need in order to feel whole and complete to do the work that we were born to do. I love that. Now, how do people, I'll have a link, of course, to everything. I know you've sent me all this information, but for anyone listening who wants to go there right now, where can they go to find out information about the badass sisterpreneur sisterhood? Yes. So for anyone who is wanting any information, the first thing is that right now I am about to start um, a 14-day free challenge to get unblocked, to deal with some of those issues. And you can find that at unblock my life. Wait, no, unblock my energy. That's what it is. Unblock my energy.com. If you go to unblock my energy.com and you sign up right there, then you will um, automatically, you know, be able to start with that immediately. And if you go to own, own your bombshell.com, and I'm going to give you all the links so that you can put them behind uh, below right. that you can then also download my free self-worth tools to be able to begin on this journey. If these are challenges that you're having. So unblock your and then own your bombshell.com. Yes. People unblock can, my energy. Unblock, unblock my energy.com. Yes. Unblock my and own your bombshell.com. Excellent. So yes. for everyone listening, we'll have links to everything, but just so you can hear it in case you want to, if you're at work and you want to sneak on and see <laughs> what's going on. So tell us about the brand sacred bombshell and what it means to be a sacred bombshell. Yes. So I'm so passionate about this, that a sacred bombshell is a woman who loves, honors, and cherishes herself in mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and being a sacred bombshell is all about leading your life from a position of being in love with yourself and so if there's a decision you're trying to make about your job about your relationship about you know your business or whatever it is you know even as a mother as a parent whatever it is start from what is the most self-loving choice that I can make because that is what is going to best serve you and the other people that you live work and play with so start with what is the most self-loving choice that I can make? Um, the, the book that I wrote, The Sacred Bombshell Handbook of Self-Love, presents 11 tools for, deal, for enhancing our self-love. You know, 
falling in love with ourselves that all of us grew up with people telling us love yourself but a lot of us didn't have people that could show us so even though they might have been able to say love yourself nobody knew how to do it so this is a movement about how to do it how to fall in love with yourself why that matters in your life um and your business and your relationships and everything that you do excellent so now a part of your business as you mentioned you're I love what you said earlier that you weren't a stranger to being a multi-hyphenate because of your parents. So now in your business, you have um, these different areas that you work in coaching in having courses and doing just a variety of things. How do you make that all work together to support your overall mission, the coaching yes. worksheets, <laughs> the programs that you're doing, and then all the other things in the events? Yes. Okay. So I love sharing this because so many of us, you know, have all of these different hats and it can feel like, whoa, you're everywhere. You're doing everything. And it's no, you are not everywhere. You are not doing everything because if you're jack of all trades, we know you're master of none. Mm -hmm. So, you know, figure out what is the commonality for me. Like I said, it's that I am a teacher, you know, and these are the different, you know, for me as a teacher and a writer, these are the different ways that that goes into the world that I am a teacher focused on self-worth or in honor to my great grandmother. Often I say that I'm a self-worth midwife helping mm. people to give birth to their own self-worth. That's beautiful. So the, thank you. Thank you, sis. So the way that it works as a business and feel free to jot this down. If you are a professional expert in um, any arena, this is really helpful to know is okay. As I said, writer, coach, speaker, content creator, broadcaster. So there are the difference between my business now and the way that it was when we talked about, you know, when it was my main checks were from big, big, you know, mainstream media is that at the time that I was working for them and they were giving me a check. And so, and that was the totality of my experience. Now, the way that it's structured is that if I'm doing a TV appearance, if I'm speaking somewhere, if I am anything that I do is built on bringing people into my tribe or bringing people into my funnel, mm -hmm. you know, so as a writer, you know, I am a content creator. As a coach, I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and VIP coaching and also digital programs um, where I do group, co basically group coaching online. As a product creator, I have digital tools, like I just mentioned the programs, mm -hmm. and then also empowerment tools. So I have books, I have meditation albums, I have goddess affirmation cards, so I have physical products that people could buy. And all of these are around my the common mission, the same mission that I have. And then as a broadcaster, as a media personality, I have a podcast, you know, I do TV appearances, my videos and all of that. Like I said, it may sound like a lot, but it again is all the same thing in different platforms. And you're a teacher, you're teaching through all of those different platforms. I'm teaching through all of those different platforms. And my love, the the thing that makes my heart sing, the thing that I was I always have been from the beginning is a writer you know and so you know it's that for me is is what I always you know I would just do if I could just do that in my bed all day right, me too <laughs> absolutely then, yeah and then also you know the I'm also very passionate about the teaching the coaching the empowering which sometimes is on a stage sometimes is one-on-one -on -one, sometimes is on a tv appearance etc I love that. Let me tell you, I'm going to take this um, as well as a challenge to myself to write down all of the hyphenates 
the things that yes. I, I do and then come up with the one word that sort of ties them all together. Connector is the thing that first came to mind as you were talking, but I'm going to give, I'm going to meditate on this. Abiola's yes. given us something to meditate about, really Yay. think about just the one, the one word that sort of summarizes or in, in, uh, captures all of the things for me. And I hope other people will take that into consideration as well. So thank you for telling us just that process and how you think about it. You're welcome. And I see you as a connector. I think connector probably is your word. Thank you. Wonderful. And also, um, I love that you mentioned this too, because just from a practical business standpoint, it's multiple streams of revenue. It doesn't sound all over the place. It sounds like, which is what, you know, you and I experienced not having when we work for one certain company. Well, you actually did. You talked about having other projects and things going on. But for me, I was so committed to whatever position I was in at that time, which worked for me at that point. But once you want to branch out, you don't you have to sort of start from the beginning because you don't have these other things. So that's why it's smart also. Yes. And as you know, like that, you know, you could be working in, you know, that there were other media companies that I worked for that were paying literally like pennies. So Mm -hmm. it could be like a big flashy column or whatever, but that didn't mean anything, you know, was happening financially. (laughs) Right. And tell everyone the name of your podcast, which is so beautiful. Yay. So my podcast is the Spiritpreneur School podcast, and I interview uh, conscious entrepreneurial, primarily women about, you know, not only the skills, but also the soul care that it takes for them to be able to do what they do. Love it. I have a couple of women that I'm going to recommend to you, some that I've interviewed recently that are definitely spiritpreneurs. Yay. Okay. And I I look forward to interviewing you too, Elaine. Uh, Am I a spiritpreneur? You are absolutely a spiritpreneur. I love it. That makes me so happy. Yay. (laughs) Now, one of the things that you do, you post great quotes on your Instagram. It was so, it was tough for me to pick just one because I love pulling quotes from people. But one of the quotes that you posted, you said, the quote said, you're always one decision away from a totally different life. So one of the things that I talk about often on this podcast is this idea of making brave decisions. So what's one brave decision that you've made recently where you feel that it's shifted in some way your life? Oh, okay. That's a big question because (laughs) 2016 has been the year of decisions. I know for for me and for many of us, this has been a heck of a year (laughs) for for better, you know, on, on every part of it. Um, I made a big decision that I feel like, you know, women entrepreneurs can learn from that. I did a test project where, like I said, I do, I sell digital products, um, meaning courses and eBooks, but also physical products, um, physical books, meditation albums, um, goddess affirmation cards, et cetera. And I started an arm of my business as a a test. I did a limited run of these self-care empowerment kits Mm -hmm. that were a combination of my meditation albums and mini coaching lessons. So it had a digital side and then it had a physical side. So they then had, I partnered with a woman who is an aromatherapist and an expert in doing, um, creating products aimed at specific physical conditions and issues. And although it was in very, very high demand, and the great thing was that um, because I'm an Essence columnist, that they were able to, I was able to mention it in Essence magazine, and it, you know, I had a a big launch event in New York City, etc. That I didn't, that the customer service, the, the way, the people that I hired to do customer service 
were not able to serve my audience in a way that I felt like was healthy for my brand and fully representative of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision to put that arm of my business on hold, which was a really, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, like it can be really challenging when you put something out there and you put yourself out there to say, okay, I'm going to make a U-turn with this because you don't want to seem flaky. You don't want to seem, you know, half-assed about anything or whatever it is. But I felt like, although the demand was there, that, having people email me and say, okay, either I I didn't get my stuff or I didn't get it on time, or I didn't like the way that this person emailed me. And, you know, just things that I felt like were not positive. Like my mission is with everything that I put into the world, every single thing, no matter how big or how small that it's making someone's life better. So having interactions that were not representative of who I am, um, and at this point in time, you know, in the future, I'll be able to do it and I'll have be able to build properly the infrastructure to do it. But I thought I felt like, OK, because I had successfully done digital products and I have um, been able to successfully do that, that I thought it would be a natural transition. But there were things that were not in alignment. And so making the decision to make a U-turn on that, I felt like was really important. And so there's no shame in if you have to do if you feel like you've done your due diligence um, and that you need to make a U-turn on something, don't just continue down the same road because you started down that path. Right. The sunk cost fallacy, right? Yes. The sunk cost fallacy. Absolutely. And so I, you know, pulled it and considered it a limited edition um, and we'll be able to bring it back. Like I said, when I'm properly able to give it the time to build the infrastructure that is needed that I feel well represented in the way that I'm putting it out there. I love that. That was a great share on a brave decision because that is one of the hardest things. I know I went through that in my version of chicrebellion.tv. I talk about how I did this party and what I wanted it to look like and what I thought it was going to be. And then as time went on in the end of last year, it was sort of like, am I passionate about this in the way that I'm presenting it? Is this the way that I want it want it to yes. be is there some you know and it was tough because of well mainly because of ego right I've done this yes. thing everybody's, <laughs> everybody's looking everybody loves yeah. it and, got, and it was just like wow I don't feel pa- I was passionate about the audience but passionate about doing that thing and to the way that it would require for me to make it be quote-unquote successful I knew I didn't have it I knew that wasn't it right you know right. at that time and like you said to your point that you can always do if it's something you really desire, you can do it later or in a different way for me, like doing this podcast and still speaking to women, still connecting, as we talked about, and all those things, it can look a different way. But just to keep going down this path, especially if money is invested, but in general, even if your energy is invested, it's sort of you have to make the brave decision to say, I need to put this on hold and figure this out or try a new way. Yes, yes. And I think that, you know, and this is the first time I've ever shared this story. (laughs) Um, So, you know, but I think that it's important to talk about because failure, you know, and fear of rejection, fear of doing something wrong is what keeps a lot of people from trying to begin with. You know, so there was there was the embarrassment factor. I'm not going to, you know, lie that, you know, it is embarrassing. You know, like when my mom was like, well, what happened to that? You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And it's the people you know. you know that you're most embarrassed <laughs> in front of. Right. 
Right, right, exactly. So it'll be like, you know what, it, it didn't work. And then especially also for me as a coach, you know, but I feel like it's better for me to come from a place of authenticity than to pretend to be able to tell my clients and the women that I speak to when I'm on, on stage, look, here's something that I tried and I put it out there and it didn't work. And here's how I rebounded from that and here's what it will be in the future is a stronger and more authentic place to come from than a place of BS. Exactly. It's more authentic, but also in you saying, hey, this is what I tried and it didn't work. So this is why I'm telling you not to do it this way. Because yes. that's powerful, too, as opposed to just, you know, hearing someone say, do this this way, this that way. And people think, oh, well, how do they know? It's like, no, I did it that way and it didn't work for me. Here's why. Here's yeah. why, you know, so that's also powerful as well. I love that. Thank you for sharing that first time. You're welcome. That story. You're welcome. I'm over here. Brown girl blushing. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Now, what would you say is the greatest lesson having a business has taught you about yourself as a woman? The greatest lesson that having a business has taught me is, you know, as a woman that I'm a lot more, I'm a lot stronger than I, than I thought that I was that, you know, I, for a long time, like a lot of us had the Prince Charming fantasy and I didn't even know that I had that. Mm. Um, but it was there. Um, so whether it's even in terms of your business, feeling like someone who knows more has to come in and somehow be your prince or princess charming to make it happen or, you know, something like that, just realizing that, you know, a lot more than you think and you're a lot stronger than you think that you are. And so um, being able to trust, learning to trust myself and trust my voice and trust my own power, I think has been definitely the biggest lesson. Excellent. Now, if you could think over your life and career and you had the chance to thank only one person whose support was critical to you personally or professionally, who would that be and what would you say? Wow. Only one. I have two parents. Only one. <laughs> you can cheat and say your parents. That's what I do. Yeah, I would have to say my parents because the gift that they gave me, honestly, is the somehow that I got the idea that no matter who I was, that it would be okay. And that doesn't mean that they always agreed with me or things that I did, or, you know, my dad in the beginning wanted me to be a lawyer, you know? And so it, it doesn't mean that they even understand what I do mm -hmm. or anything like that. Like, okay, well, you know, you seem to be surviving and thriving. So I guess it's working, you know, <laughs> but they instilled in me the sense that, you know, that I could, be, do, have whatever I want and have an, a, and a sense of optimism about myself and about the world that maybe they don't even have themselves, but somehow they were able to instill that in me. So that is my biggest, biggest influence, knowing that, you know, no matter what, that I feel loved. I feel loved in the world. I feel like that's a big, big gift, you know? That's powerful. I love it. Yes, we love the parents, especially when they don't understand what's going on, but they support you. <laughs> Mine are like yeah. that too. They're like, okay, whatever. A podcast. <laughs> my mother, every every night I talk to her, she's like, what's it called again? A pod? I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> but they're wonderful. Yes. I love it. <laughs> now, final question. How can we support you? Tell us what to do. The, I'll have all the links to the websites and those things, but what are you most excited about? Yay. So I am most excited 
Um, well, I just want to just reiterate that. Thank you so much, Elaine, for thank having you. me on Support Is Sexy podcast. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so the digital gifts that I have are, of course, if you go to ownyourbombshell.com, ownyourbombshell.com, you can download a free self-worth kit. If you go to unblockmyenergy.com, unblockmyenergy.com, you can join a free 14-day challenge that is going to take you to the badass <laughs> Or sisterhood. Um, so you definitely want to do that. But then I think that something that would be, you know, not only support me, but I feel like would be very supportive for your listeners as well is that I have my goddess affirmation cards. So I have the African goddess affirmation cards. And Elaine, after this, I'm going to get your address and send you a package with oh. books and all kinds of goodies. So I have the African goddess affirmation cards. And then I have the woman manifesting um fertility goddess affirmation cards as well um and two different meditation albums one is a self-love meditation album and one is a manifesting manifest your mojo your magic and your miracles album so i think that those would be really helpful and people can find everything at sacredbombshell.com if you forget any of these links or shop.sacredbombshell.com excellent thank you i accept whatever package you thank you but sacredbombshell.com it's amazing i'm so amazed by you just everything you're doing and creating with your business and the type of business but then all the products and resources and things that you're able to generate for women it's just it's beautiful to see and inspiring thank you elaine yeah. thank you and i look forward to hanging with you in person where are you based these days i'm in brooklyn i'm in bedsty Okay, good. So we have to have a play date before it gets cold. Yes, everybody is so funny in New York. I guess probably in other <laughs> cities too, but definitely in New York, it's like, look, after a certain time, when it gets cold, every, everybody ends the sentence, with, let's do whatever before it gets cold. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Before you go, and I really appreciate you, what is, um, what is a parting piece of advice for our audience from you? A parting piece of advice that I would give would be to trust your intuition, that we are the only animals that don't trust our intuition. Mm -hmm. If my kitty cat hears something or feels something coming or, you know, animals, if there's a hurricane coming, they trust their intuition and they're out. So trust your gut, you know. Put your put. This is going to be very woo woo because I'm a woo woo kind of chick. Me too. Put your put if you're there's a decision you're trying to make. Put your hands on your belly and ask your body what you should do. You know. You know, deep down, often you're only asking other people to validate, you know, what it is that you already know. So if there's a decision you're trying to make, put your hands on your belly or your hands over your heart, ask your body and trust your sacred bombshell intuition. I love it. That is perfect. I'm going to put my hands on my belly for a few decisions I'm making. Yes, that is perfect. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Abiola. I appreciate you. You're welcome, goddess. Thank, Thank you. you. This was so fun. Thank you. Hold on for one second. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of this episode. And the challenge is to take at least one thing from the episode. You can always do more than one thing, but at least one thing from the episode. Take action. Move forward today. You can also check out previous episodes that I've done with past inspiring women entrepreneurs and creatives. Go to supportissexypodcast.com. Again, supportissexypodcast.com. Check out previous episodes, leave comments, get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear in the future. I am here to support you. While you're there, be sure to click the free resources button and check out some things that I'm offering completely free. That's why they're free resources, including an audio training on making brave decisions. 
You can also support me by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Leave a rating. Hopefully it's a five-star rating, but that would really help me and I would love to hear from you. So now you know what to do. Go out there and create something sexy and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.